0: Hello, welcome to my podcast. And this is A Parallel: The Chinese Culture Revolution and the French Revolution. This is Episode One: Spark. I want to tell the stories of the early events that caused the revolutions in these two nations. All revolutions need a spark, a beginning. Before I get into that, I want to start with a definition, with the meaning of the word revolution. The definition is broader than I thought, as I guess not all revolutions are the same. The current online Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the noun revolution as follows, a sudden, radical, or complete change, or the overthrow or renunciation of one government or ruler and the substitution of another by the governed. Both definitions will be needed to describe the revolutions China and France faced. The French Revolution's legacy cannot be found in its physical monuments. It can only be found in the ideals it conveyed liberty, equality, and justice. From 1789 to 1799, France experienced a revolution casting off the Ancien Regime, the old regime, among other things. That revolution has become the measure of all other revolutions before and after it. It still inspires people. It was more ambitious than the American Revolution. It was meant to change the world. France, for a long time before the Revolution, was a, com- was a complex place. Much of its customs and political ideas made no sense. It was an ocean of slapdash ideas and customs. Unlike its channel neighbor, and sometimes friend, and sometimes foe, England, France had no national representative assembly or a parliament where ideas, thoughts, policies, and laws were tossed around, debated, and voted upon. France had no real common law or governmental institutions. The king of France was the supreme source of all law and policy. But even the king had difficulties if he wanted to change anything, as he was boxed in as well to the multiplicity and confusion of the laws, policies, and customs. So any serious intellectual discussion on how to make France of the 17th and 18th centuries better was purely academic. Real substantive change was going to be difficult, if not impossible. The Chinese Culture Revolution has roots back to the late 50s and early 1960s. From 1966 to 1976, with the encouragement and support support of the leader of China, many young people rose up in an effort to purge the nation of the four olds. Old customs, old culture, old habits, and old ideas. The culture revolution, or also known as the Great Proletarian Culture Revolution, would have a far-reaching and ruinous impact on China. After driving the Chinese Nationalist Government, or the Kuomintang, from China, the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, established itself as the leading and ruling organization of the People's Republic of China on October 1, 1949. Mao Zedong declared the creation of the People's Republic of China. From the CCP's beginning, it had relied on and sought financial and political support from the Soviet Union. Joseph Stalin, the Soviet Union's leader, had helped Mao become the leader of the CCP. While Mao faithfully followed Stalin, their personal relationship was not always cozy. Mao was always a little jealous and resentful towards Stalin. Mao felt he paid his communist dues and he believed he was the more proven revolutionary. When you consider the number of people in China at that time that he pulled or forced into the communist tent, nearly a quarter of the world's population then, Mao had a point. When Joseph Stalin died in 1953, Mao was eager to claim the leadership role of the socialist camp. The king's domain covered vast areas and continents. In 1790, it was estimated that 25 million persons were under the king's governance. At that time, France was the most populated country in Europe. The French domains had been acquired slowly by conquest and design, and even by accident. The French class structure of the 17th and 18th century seems to be as follows. You had the king, then you had the clergy, and there were roughly 130,000 of them, then the nobles, and there were roughly 2 million of them, followed by the middle class or the bourgeoisie, peasants, and the unskilled and skilled laborers. I'm sure there was some blurring between the class types. It is clear, however, peasants and unskilled had little chance of escape. Most people lived in poverty. The peasants existed in a feudal system run by nobles and at the mercy of the nobles. The Catholic Church played a large role. In French society. She owned about seven to ten per cent of the land in France and demanded a form of tax to support her. The poverty was worse in the countryside. The peasants generally had to pay all the taxes and they paid handsomely for everything, as one observer wrote. Feudal rights extended over every force of nature. Everything that grew, moved, breathed, even over the fire burning in the oven used to cook their bread. The poverty was cruel and stifling. It was, at that time, the nation's most visible social problem. And town folks were not an exception to the poverty. Most of them were completely unskilled and lived in deplorable squalor conditions. Nikita Khrushchev replaced Stalin, and by 1956, Khrushchev was denouncing Stalin's reputation and calling out the horrible horrors he had visited on the Soviet Union and its people. Khrushchev was revising Soviet history, much to the chagrin and concern of Mao Zedong. Mao feared he would eventually receive the same treatment in China and wondered who would become China's Khrushchev. Not, Mao knew if such a person appeared, they would have to be stopped. Mao also boastfully desired to surpass the West technology and industry, but it was really the Soviet Union he wished to surpass. Mao wanted to build a whole new society, a society where there were no differences between people, class, or their labor. The early socialist leaders like Mao and Stalin believed that socialism required a complete separation with attitudes and ideas of the past. The press, religion, education, and entertainment would have to be discarded. Those individuals involved in those pursuits would have to submit to the new society, its rules, and the new indoctrination. Mao was convinced he had found the golden bridge to communism. And if he was correct, and his ideas fully implemented, he would be immortalized forever. Despite all the poverty and the deplorable conditions, the eighteenth century in France in France saw rapid urban growth. Up to the mid-18th century, it was the richest country in Europe. As for the nobility, half of them were no better than the average bourgeois, and in some cases, poor. Nobility was always a club, however, and every person aspired to it and desired it. In French society, the nobles, and particularly the wealthy ones, had all the power and influence, and they generally did not pay taxes the same was for the clergy and the bourgeoisie the king after all hobnobbed with the nobles nevertheless 18th century france was a tough place to earn a living during the 18th century the population increased it nearly doubled from the 17 from 1700 to 1800 this eventually created food shortage Issues. Bread made up to one, three fourths of the people's diets. The poor spent up to one half of their incomes for it. Mao Zedong's first attempt to advance his beliefs came with the Great Leap Forward. From 1958 to 1960, He ordered people into the countryside, into giant collectives called communes. And food quickly became a weapon. The threat of starvation became the first step to keep people in line. Those too ill, too feeble, or too old to work starved. The mantra then was, he who does not work shall not eat. As this mess unfolded, the survival of a person depended on their ability to lie, cheat, steal, charm, hide, forage, or smuggle. Theft became routine. Sometimes entire communes or villages were in on the deception and the theft, working together to fool the state. Meanwhile, the Soviet Union in 1959 sought Reapproachment with the United States and agreed to reduce the size of its military. This sent Mao into public denunciations against Khrushchev and his appeasing the West. Mao ordered thousands of Soviet advisors and their families to immediately leave China. Mao increasingly challenged the Soviet Union for the leadership of the socialist movement. The great leap forward ended after two years. It was one of the greatest mass killings in history. There are estimates of upwards of 45 million people lost in that period, but it could be much, much higher than that. The incredible scale of the disaster Mao created forced him to reduce the severity of the controls. Some local markets were restored. China began importing grain to stem the mass starvations. In typical Mao fashion, he blamed the famine on his enemies. One of the great paradoxes of the Great Leap Forward was that everything was for sale. Bricks, clothing, fuel were all sold or bartered for food. Relatedly, it was discovered the Great Leap Forward had fostered a robust underground economy people were simply not going to starve themselves to death. Capitalism and entrepreneurism ironically flourished as a counter to the harsh, radically, centrally planned collectivism that was, that was promoted during the Great Leap Forward. Despite the crushing poverty and the unfavorable economic conditions in France, by 1750 the Age of Enlightenment had fully matured in France and the rest of Europe. The Age of Enlightenment generally developed the ideas that individualism and human reason could win out and govern the direction of humankind. It was an era of the great thinkers, Voltaire, Diderot, Montesquieu, to name just a few, that questioned the usual norms and beliefs, including religion and government. Some have argued the Enlightenment, or at least its teachings, helped augur in the French Revolution. The Seven Years' War... In the US, it's called the French and Indian War, ended in 1763. The war had involved all the great European powers at that time. The war also had a North America and India leg as well, but those only involved the French and the English. And we all know the French lost that war in a humiliating way to the English. Aside from the humiliation, it nearly bankrupted France. The war was fought under the direction of French King Louis XV. Luckily for him, he died in 1774 and never had to face the fallout that was coming. His death led to the ascension of his grandson, Louis Sixteenth to the throne of France in 1774. His ascension was filled with optimism. Facing harsh criticism for the failures and disasters of the Great Leap Forward, afterward, Mao Zedong withdrew from an active role in China's affairs. He left the CCP's vice chair, Liu Shaoqi, Zhou Enlai. And Deng Xiaoping in charge. All of them had been loyal to Mao, but they no longer believed in Mao's radical fervor. Instead, they shifted the emphasis to individualism and expertise rather than ideological purity. Allegedly, Mao agreed to stay out of state affairs for five years in order to allow these men the freedom to recover the economy. They introduced measures, creating incentives to people to encourage production, growth, and quality. And it worked. The Chinese economy grew in the early 1960s. Mao Zedong, however, ever watchful, brooded over these measures. He felt the measures offended his core principles of communism. Mao began to worry that the CCP was becoming too bureaucratic. The party leaders were abandoning their commitment to core revolution and communism values. Mao was losing influence among his CCP cadre. He was convinced that the Soviet Union communist experiment had gone off the rails. He feared the same result for China if something was not done to change the direction. The reforms the vice chair and Zhou Enlai and Deng Xiaoping were making, he feared, were following the capitalist track and would block progress of Mao's desired socialist utopia. The next episode, we will learn how both nations were reacting to the unpleasantness they felt. We will see them hurdle themselves into solutions they believed at that time they made, that they were made, they would correct the unpleasantness, ultimately to fail and resulting in harsher and more severe consequences for the failure. Thank you. It has been my pleasure.